Hola amigos, welcome to the Drunken Storytellers podcast where I tell folk tales, folklore, myths and legends from across the globe. For this season I've been mostly focusing on kind of the devil and devil folklore and tales like that. I shall be doing maybe a little bit more of that today, kind of in a broader sense of the word devil though. Not the biblical, biblical Satan, more of like evil creatures and devils and evil horsemen and that kind of stuff. So it is within theme, I suppose, um, than... Yeah, it's within theme of what I've been doing for, for most of this season. And as most of you will know, hopefully, as listeners will know, uh, I've recently moved to Mexico. I've been here now, what, just under two weeks. I've had a very, very, very busy summer, very stressful, uh, moving from Germany back to Manchester and then back to here. I'm not back to here, or to here, while organising a conference and all sorts of other stuff. You don't need to know that stuff. So, again, slow with the episodes. As always, never expect anything from me. So, what I thought I would like to do then is take a look at some Mexican folklore. Um, or some folk tales and Mexican folklore from around here, looking at some of the, the griblies maybe that exist here. So we've got one which comes from the Aztecs. It'll be the first one. Uh, we'll have one that is from Portugal, uh, but is also well known in Latin and Hispanic countries. And one that is specifically from Mexico itself. So we'll be looking at those. Uh, but there is a quick note that I want to give before I dive into the stories. I'm going to be closing my Patreon, or, well, pausing my Patreon for a bit till I can get better at this whole social media thing that's never going to happen anyway or get more listeners there are five episodes of faust on there but i'm actually going to release them slowly over the coming weeks on the free podcast here where you find this one's in between other episodes uh, they are quite long most of them are around an hour if not longer so be aware of that i am reading faust uh, that traditional german tale of Hmm, making a deal with the devil is a great idea. So do give them a listen, enjoy them, and yeah, they'll be coming out. So the first one will be coming out pretty soon after this episode, probably by the end of the week. So you get two, two episodes in one week. Ooh, scary. But anyway, grab yourself a drink and enjoy the tales. First off, um... I'm going to apologise. My Spanish is not great, my pronunciation is not great, and some of these are, obviously, this first one is from the Aztecs in their native language that I can't pronounce the name of. Um, N-A-H-U-A-T-L. Nahuatl? Uh, according to Wikipedia, Nahuatl. So yes, um, obviously I don't speak that, and as you can tell, that I don't even know how to pronounce the name of the language, so I'm going to apologise on that already. As always, me apologising about not being able to pronounce stuff. So yes, our first creature that we're going to come across is an indigenous creature from the Aztecs, and it is known as the Chanaki, or the Ohuican Chanaki. Um, and that's how I'm going to pronounce it. Uh, sorry if it's wrong. These little creatures have quite a varied past that has changed and morphed over the centuries um, and most notably when the Spanish conquistadors came over and chucked their Catholic beliefs everywhere. 
Um, but we'll get into that later. So who and what and where are they from? Well, they're from Mexico. They're from the Aztec Empire. Um, and the name means something like those who inhabit dangerous places. They are small, sprite-like creatures who live in the forests and jungles of Mexico, and they are seen as guardians of nature and have strong connections to elemental forces. Some of the more modern depictions of them have, him, have them looking a little like a goblin, like a small human with an old man's or an old woman's head, kind of very Harry Potter goblin-esque, um, kind of Dobby-esque but weirder. Uh, but this is obviously a more modern look. There are many similar creatures found across Mexico, and they all fall under the broad category of duende. And these are house spirits, often comparable to dwarves, nise, tomte, or gnomes, and kind of, I suppose, in a way, brownies and boggarts. So duende comes from the Spanish phrase dueño de casa, which effectively means master of the house. Over the years, the chanaki has been viewed both positively and negatively. Um, much of the negativity kind of comes from the Catholic side, as we'll see later, as they morph local beliefs into their kind of overarching church beliefs. But there is also a little bit of negativ negativity um, with the traditional sides. So, depending on where you are in Mexico, uh, they're kind of described in different ways. Mostly, as I said before, they are kind of humanesque, short, and usually naked. They prefer to live in forests, rivers, or caves, and places with a strong connection to earth and water. As they are guardians of nature, they are able to communicate with animals and help protect them. And the tales have them as both good creatures who want to help, often only being visible to children who delight at their singing, but mildly disturbed by their screaming and crying. Adults are not always able to see them. But they are also shown as evil creatures who want to cause harm, especially when they're angered. In their roles as guardians of nature, they also kind of have a dual nature, a dual duality to them, in that of the trickster, as well as the guardian. They always love a good old-fashioned prank, like leading a lone traveller astray or hiding their belongings. So, a little bit of a trickster. Like, yeah, you're in a forest you've never been to before, you follow this small creature and then you're lost in a forest. Sounds like a great trick. Whilst these may seem like a trick, or the, 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 the prank actions of a malicious sprite, they are often thought to serve actually a deeper purpose. And this again connects them to the Guardians, and it is used to teach us about living harmoniously with and protecting nature and the natural world. So there are stories of them leading travellers off the path that they're on because they might walk over some dangerous plants or some protected plants, or away from a sacred grove, and just kind of keeping humans away from the areas that they like. Obviously, you kind of want to keep these creatures on your side, because if, if not, and they're just going to go, you're going to do something stupid, and you're going to be a traveller, and you're going to wander through, and they're going to lead you off the path, you might not want to upset them. So, sometimes if, if you meet one and they take you on a path and they actually lead you somewhere nice it's it's quite respectful to leave them a message and um saying thank you very much for leading me me down this path and protecting the land and things like that uh in exchange for protection villagers um would often leave sweet fruits or handmade trinkets outside for them 
in the hope that they would protect their house, the harvest, or prevent intruders coming into them. So kind of that whole brownie boggart brownie thing, um, leaving things out so they don't mess with your house. It's that fairy protection racket thing again. Um, they are also connected to the spirit world, so they're not just part of nature. They are seen as a bridge between these two realms. Uh, mostly they live in the real world, um, but they can and often do interact with the spiritual realm, uh, communicating with other spirits and delivering messages between the worlds. Uh, they're also sometimes even seen as helpers of the gods, uh, looking after nature for them. But due to this bridging connection between the two realms, they are also believed to help with the transition of the soul, especially of those who die young. And they are seen as, as guiding those souls to the afterlife, making sure that they don't get lost on the way. Which is rather nice of them, I feel. And as we are all probably aware, in 1519, the Spanish arrived in Mexico under the command of the arch-bastard Hernando Cortes of the Conquistadors. This arrival had a huge, huge, massive impact on the indigenous population, their way of life and beliefs, and basically causing the fall of the Aztec Empire in a very short period of time. I think they arrived in February that year, and Cortes arrested Montezuma in November that year, which basically caused the fall of the empire. So, a couple of months. What dicks. But anyway, this is not going to go into the history of... That, it's going to ask you, how did the the influence of the Conquistadors affect our little trickster, who's a little bit of a chill nature dude from what we've seen so far? Well, the church being the church, and, and not liking people having their own belief systems, they kind of forced things onto them. As we know in Europe and, and things like Hell, the goddess from Norse mythology became Hell the place where bad people go in Christianity. Here, because these are small little creatures, um, they became the souls of children who died before they could be baptised. So, in the Catholic belief of the Chanikas, they are often seen as demonic and evil creatures that prey on people. They are believed to intentionally attract people into the jungles and forests. So... Rather than guiding people through the forest away from the places they don't want to go, they intentionally bring them into the forest, confusing and disorientating them, getting them lost in the dense vegetation where they can play their malevolent little pranks on them. There are stories that they can find and scare people to death, causing the person's soul to leave the body, and only to be captured and then imprisoned underground by the Janikas. So, boo! Oh, look, there's your soul, I'll have that. In a hole, under the ground, tough luck. But to reclaim your soul, you must perform specific rituals or face dire consequences that I couldn't really find. But apparently it's worse than just dying because of a lack of soul. So, this is still a part of many people's beliefs here in Mexico, and each region and state has its own interpretation. And not everyone thinks of them as evil, soul-eating, dead babies. Which is good, because I kind of like that that old kind of fairy pixie, almost fairy pixie-like vibe they have of running around the forest, protecting the forest, delivering messages between other sprites and spirits and things. I kind of like that. It's kind of a cool little thing. But there is a lot more for you to delve into on these, and uh, I shall let you explore that yourself at your leisure, as I have some other creatures to tell you about. 
Next up, we probably have the most famous one on, on our list here. We have Coco, or Coca, or El Cucuy, uh, who is the Iberian boogeyman, or bugbear. This is a ghost-like monster that has its roots in Portugal, but has since travelled to Spain and most of the Latin Americas and Hispanic-speaking countries. So this one is not specifically Mexican, but it is well known here and all over the Hispanic world, as I say, and it is even known in the US com Hispanic communities as the Coco Man. Here we kind of see that wonderful thing that we do in certain languages of having gendered uh, words. So the Kukui is the male version and the Kuka is the female version. And they are both male and female versions of this beastie. And the name comes from apparently a colloquial term in Spanish for head or skull, Coco, which also needs coconut. Uh, and there are various etymologies from other Indo-European languages and Celtic languages and stuff, but we'll not get into that here. And so, who or what is El Cucuy? They are the boogeyman. The one you warn your children of at night. The beast in the lullaby to encourage children to behave. The one who eats children who don't listen to their parents. The stories and rhymes tell of a creature who watches you from the rooftops and the shadows, waiting for you to misbehave. For it only takes those who disobey. It comes at night, whilst you sleep, and either eats you whole right there and then, or steals you away, never to return. Often seen as the devil, or having a connection to the devil, it is the opposite of a guardian angel. It is the one who takes you away from all that you know and love. So the earliest known rhyme, so this is this is your, your stereotypical kid story that you tell to scare your kids to, to behave. Um, and the earliest known rhyme about Coco comes from a 17th century Portuguese text. I'm going to try and pronounce this. Auto de los Desporsorios de la Virgin by Juan Caxis. And it goes something like this. Obviously, this is translated into English. Sleep, child, sleep or else. Coco will come and eat you. And there's a more modern version which follows the same line, which is, go to sleep, child, go to sleep now. The cocoa is coming and it will eat you up. And so I think that second one is a Spanish translation. And then we can see there's one in Brazil, um, which has the cocoa as a humanoid alligator. And it goes, sleep, little baby, that cuca comes to get you. Daddy went to the farm, mummy went to work. So it is, as I say, it's one of the most well-known ones. Um, it's all kind of all over modern media. So if you just kind of Google it, you'll find lots about it. So I'm not going to go into it too much here. In fact, that's all I'm going to do, really. There is a movie called Kukoi the Boogeyman. And there's even a UFC fighter who goes by the moniker of El Kukoi, uh, Tony Ferguson. And there was something that happened in 2013. 13, 2014, I can't remember, where Universal Studios did something and Danny Trejo, the, the, the most famous Mexican, he's a Mexican, not a Mexicant, um, he did the voiceover of something and, and was El Cucuy in that. But again, as I say, there's a lot more um, about this little scary child eater uh, and things involving dragons. It may ride a dragon in one story or in a few, but I'll leave you to find those ones out. And so... That is story number two, or creature number two, I shall say. And last up, 
we have one of Mexico's most well-known ghost riders. The tale of El Charro Negro. The Black Charro. This is one of those tales that each state, city, village, town has. Uh, each with its own spin on the classic theme. But they all tell the tale of a handsome stranger riding a black horse, whose eyes sometimes glow with fire. He's dressed in a smart black charro suit, which is a traditional cowboy dress, traditional Mexican cowboy dress. But beware, for this lone traveller has connections to the devil. This is a story that warns against greed and the darkness of the human soul. There are connections and crossovers with this modern folktale uh, to dark and malevolent deities and creatures in indigenous beliefs. So some indigenous beliefs seem to have taken the idea of this story and, and amalgamated it into their own ideas. I won't be looking into these things as I don't know enough about the beliefs and I do want to be respectful of them. And I didn't, re I didn't have time to delve into it all. But also, it's quite a personal story. It's, I don't say personal, but it's it's very much a story that someone like me, a white person, should not really be explaining to people as to why it's bad. But we'll come to that at the end. So what I've got here is I'm going to attempt to retell a version of the tale um, that I have taken from bits and pieces that I've read all over the internet. So this is an original version of the tale. I wrote this, kind of gathered up from my own knowledge of, of this story. Um, so this isn't a specific one related to a specific town or place, but it's kind of taken all of the ideas and amalgamated them into one story. Enrique was a miner in a small provincial town, and he lived a good life. He had wife and children, who always had food on their plates. Not always a lot of food, but food nonetheless. One day after a long shift in the mines, he went to the local bar to relax with his friends. And after a while and a few drinks in, Enrique complains. Ugh, why is life so unfair? We work hard and we barely make enough money to feed our families. Oh, what I wouldn't give to be rich and powerful. His friends mumble in vague drunken agreement. At that moment, a tall, handsome charro all dressed in black, walks into the bar. He approaches Enrique and whispers into his ear, I can make your dreams come true, if you so want. His friends looked at Enrique and at the charro, their faces pale despite the heat, got up and left. Other patrons saw what was happening and also left, knowing that the devil was about this evening. Come, I'll take you on my horse to your home. You can sleep on the offer, and we'll meet again tomorrow eve. Enrique, being a little drunk and flustered with the heat, agreed to the ride home, little aware that his fate had already been sealed, as he failed to notice the deep, burning red eyes of the large black horse. At home he was quick to fall asleep next to his wife, his children in the room next door. However, it was not a peaceful sleep. He dreamed of a snake, one who spoke to him in dark tones and portrayed a malevolent force. Thank you, my friend, for taking me to your home, for showing me the souls you have to offer. They will be a great payment for the wealth and power you seek. One every five years will do nicely. If you accept the riches, the bargain shall be sealed. 
the last soul shall burn from you at the end. When he woke, he did not feel refreshed from the sleep, but put it down to the effects of the beer and the heat. And after another long day in the mines, and he was walking home, pondering the meeting with the stranger in the bar last night, something glinted on the side of the road, caught his eye. Hidden in the bush was the discarded saddlebag filled with gold, more gold than he had ever seen before, enough to feed him and his family for life. He looked around for the rider that must have dropped this dark, black bag filled with gold. Seeing no one, he thought his luck must have changed and he picked up the bag, hoisting it onto his shoulder. The wealth he carried on him hid all thoughts of last night's dreams and the meeting of the stranger. He even failed to hear the whisper come from the brush of the snake saying, Thank you, our bargain has been made. When he got home, his wife was in tears, holding the lifeless body of his youngest son in her arms. He had died a few hours earlier, kicked by a horse. If Enrique had had a sensible thought in his mind, he would have realised that would have been around the time he found the bag of gold. But the gold hid all his thoughts from him. He was rich and would be powerful with his riches. The gold washed away the misery of the loss of a child. Five years later, he was a successful business owner and trading was good. But he wanted more. He'd had a taste of success and he wanted more of it. So, five years to the day. Even to the hour, in fact. He was walking home again through the back lanes, and a shining object caught his eye. It was another large black saddlebag full of gold. He couldn't believe his luck. However, his greed took over, and he took the bag home with him. Upon arrival, he found his eldest daughter dead in the garden. No cause of death could be determined. But again the greed and the gold kept the sad thoughts away. Over the years, more gold was found, and more of his family died. Till, after 25 years, no one else was left. He found one more bag. But there's only one more soul for El Charo Negro to take. Enrique's. At his funeral, which was only attended by the few people of the church who needed to be there, into the deep, dark shadows, a tall, handsome stranger in a dark charo. He was heard to whisper, I'll take the final payment now, thank you, my friend. There was a strong smell of sulphur that wafted over the funeral, and the casket began to smoke. Upon opening the casket, where once a few hours ago Enrique's body lay, lay instead blackened and scorched bone. And here ends this story of El Charo Negro. So that is my take on the tales and the information that I've read about this character. The stories tend to go along this kind of line where a tall, usually white man uh, dressed in a traditional black charo suit riding a black horse. He meets lone wanderers on the dark streets of cities, villages or in rural areas. And those who are seeking fame and fortune, the greedy, he offers to give them a ride, or a coin or two. Those who agree see their luck change. They get all the riches they have ever dreamed of. But at a cost. 
usually their soul and the souls of their loved ones. It's an almost Faustian or Devil at the Crossroads deal. Their fate is sealed. So, obviously you can see here as well, the moral of the story is kind of careful what you wish for, along with the, with greed. But there's there are kind of deeper roots, as I said, with the connections that the indigenous population have brought to this. And that is of the white man, and being careful of the white man and the riches that the white man offers. Because, as we know, we destroy life and culture. But there are other stronger connections to the indigenous peoples of Mexico, um... I don't know enough about them and I don't know enough about the religious beliefs and and whether they would want me to talk about these things. So I'm not going to. Um, If you are interested in that, you can go off and find it yourself online. There There are places you can read that. So there we go. Three creatures, three tales, three bits of folklore from Mexico and Portugal, Brazil, Spain and other Latin countries. Anyway, uh, I hope you enjoyed these as much as I did telling them and reading up on them. Next episode shall be Faust Act 1, and as, as I say, it should be out pretty quickly, as it's already recorded, edited and everything, and it's actually out on Patreon, but screw that, that's coming out probably by the end of the week. After that, I'm going to hopefully do part 2 of Devil in the Landscape, then after that there'll be another episode of Faust, and after that we'll see, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. I have a few things that I want to do. Uh, Time will tell which of those I get to do and when. I am off to Salem in a few weeks. uh, So maybe I'll do something about the witch trials there. Though I think I'm doing a Secret Frequencies episode with Mike from Darker Days Radios on that whilst we're both there. It'll be live on location. Or recorded on location. Uh, I'll be in New York as well just after that. So maybe I'll find some New York spoops to tell. I don't know. Anyway. Also, no, before you ask, and I know none of you will because no one ever does, I'm not going to do a Day of the Dead episode. Go find that out yourself. So, yeah, there we go. Um, Talking about the Patreon, uh, it doesn't work because I don't do the socials. Uh, I do have them. Go look in the show notes to find them. The only one that is really, I suppose, important is if you do have any ideas or things you want to share with me, you can email me at thedrunkenstorytelleruk at gmail.com. So send me some ideas of things to say. Things to talk about, I should say. All that remains for me to say now is goodbye, my friends. <laughs>